Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Beloved, thank you today for joining us on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Once again, I am incredibly privileged to be the host of this conversation. My name is John Russin. And I'm here with my sidekick, Pastor Frank Friedman. How are you today, my friend? We're doing very well in South Louisiana, John. Summer is gone. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's always summer in Southern Arizona. Just sometimes it's more summery than others. As it is in Louisiana. Hot and hotter, two temperatures. Yeah. Well, friends, if you've just joined us, uh, Frank and I are in the middle of a study that we're kind of calling the pivotal words in Scripture. Of course, all words in scripture are important, but some of them really seem to change everything that's going on around them. So today we're going to pick up a new one. The last three episodes, we've talked about the phrase, but God. Today we're going to change and pick one that, Frank, this is going to be tough. The pivotal word today is grace. Wow. Oh so goodness. <laughs> I want to begin with, with two quick observations, and then I'll uh, turn it over to you. We see the word grace everywhere. It's on our churches. We name ministries after it. Seminaries are named after it. Even our kids. Do we really know what it means, Frank? Well, so we, we say it before every meal. <laughs> yes, we do. You know, grace is so much a part of our life, but I don't think, I've been in the church a long time, my friend, and I don't think we really understand what grace is. We think it's something, but it's a person. You know, Titus tells us that Jesus is the grace of God. So because grace is Jesus, trying to define grace is going to be like trying to define Jesus. So my friend, we are destined to fail. We're going to mm -hmm. fall short because how could you define God? And I'll use one of your favorite phrases. How can the finite mind grasp the infinite God? But today, we're going to try. <laughs> okay, I want to begin uh, by asking you to summarize uh, a survey you did recently. Uh, you asked a, uh, a question on social media about grace. So tell us what you did, why you did it, and what you learned. Well, John, it was interesting because grace is so prolific in our culture. As a teacher, if you taught in school, you had people take tests. And as students, we all hated tests. But tests are so necessary because it's the only way for the teacher to learn if they're getting through to the student and the student is learning. And it's the only way for the student to tell whether they're learning. And then it gives the teacher the opportunity to uh, come back and teach again to make sure the students do learn. But, you know, it's interesting, John, we never take tests in church. So there's no way the pastor really knows if the people are laying hold of what's being taught. So that's why I did this survey. And John, just to bounce off what you said earlier, that grace is really too big. 
I want to throw a, a verse to our listeners and, and to you. I recently wrote a blog. I haven't posted it yet, so the cat's going to come out of the bag. But you know, John, there's a verse that we use prolifically as well in the church. It is this verse. His ways are not our ways. Now, John, when you first hear those words from me, uh, I'm sure you, like me, and like our listeners, are going to think about how we use that verse in our culture. We usually throw that verse out when someone is going through a difficult circumstance, and it's confusing, it's hard to harmonize the love of God with what we're going through, and some well-meaning soul will say, well, you know, his ways are not our ways. Uh, well, John, I looked that up. It's in the Old Testament. It's in Isaiah 55. And here's the amazing thing. The context is not on suffering. The context, God cries out to the people and he says, come, come and buy for free. John, I know you saw it and I hope our listeners did. The context of that verse, his ways are not our ways, is grace. <laughs> come buy for free. <laughs> if you don't have money, come and buy. The point is, you're right. We're never going to understand the grace of God fully because it's his way. And it's certainly not our way. When we talk about grace, we're going into the mind of God. So I did this survey and I simply asked them, I want you to tell me in one sentence, I don't want a paragraph. I don't want a, a diatribe. I want in one sentence, your answer to this question. Because what's at the forefront of the mind is what's most readily understood. And then I ask the question, what is the grace message? And John, it was fascinating. I did get a big response, but it produced what I think educators, sociologists call a bell curve. So you're more of an expert on a bell curve than me. Uh, why don't you describe to our listeners what a bell curve is? Oh, okay. Wonderful. I can turn on my scientist hat now. Uh, <laughs> when, you, when you survey a population of anything, and you measure height or weight or what have you, or you ask a question and ask an opinion. And if you have, say, a hundred people respond, very few of them will give answers on the extremes of the spectrum. Most people will give answers that are fairly similar. So if we take all those answers uh, or we take all people's heights or weights and we put them on a graph, we'll get a curve. That looks kind of like a bell. Some people will be extremely thin. Some people will be extremely fat. But most people kind of settle out in the middle. So it defines a bell. All right. So how does that relate to your opinion, Frank? Okay. Well, when I ask what the grace message is, and I ask them to do it in one sentence, most people talked about the fruit of grace, the results of grace. They would say things like, I am forgiven. I am completely loved without condition. I have a new identity. Uh, I am righteous. I am loved completely by God. The majority of people landed on the benefit of grace. Now, way to the left, a very 
few people in number said things like this. Grace message is the unmerited favor of God. God's riches at Christ's expense. Getting what I don't deserve. At the other end of the spectrum, and this is where I was uh, astounded, if you will, John, but they were there. And these people wrote the simplest of answers. And this is what they wrote. What is the grace message? And the answers were, Jesus, Christ is my life, my union with God, and so forth. But again, very few people in that camp. And so, John, as I look at the bell curve, here's what my conviction is based on the data that I received. When most people talk about grace, they are talking about the benefit of grace, uh, what they received because of grace. A very few people basically defined it, but a very small group of people identified the source the source, which is the person of God, Jesus Christ, who is grace. And so out of that data, I would say something like this. Most people, when they talk about grace, are talking about the tools in a toolbox. Some people talked about the toolbox itself, and very few people laid hold of the idea that Jesus is not only the tools in the toolbox, he is the toolbox itself. Uh, he is not only the benefits of who he is, grace, but he is grace himself. And very few people understand that. They were, and let me, I could put it this way. They were enamored with the blessings, but maybe missed the blesser. Maybe they are enamored with the revelation of grace, but miss the revealer. Maybe caught up in the message, but haven't fully laid hold of the Messiah, who is the content of the message. You know, those are great observations, my friend. I'm sitting here listening to you, and I'm thinking to the commentary that we've just finished uh, on Galatians. And we wrote an introduction and in that very first part, we, we began with this question, you know, what is grace? And you've hit on everything that we've talked about, because most people will say, well, grace is a, a mindset, a philosophy. Some say it's a doctrine, the doctrine of grace, or you'll commonly hear the message of grace. But you nailed it on the head, my friend. Grace is a person. Titus 2. Grace is Jesus. And so as a person versus a message, what is different about that when it comes to our understanding of grace? And why must we really see grace as Jesus? Well, John, that's a great question. I'm really glad you asked it because my answer is fresh in my brain. <laughs> I have an illustration that I have used over the years, and I just happened to use it yesterday in teaching on Sunday. And this is the illustration. When my kids were little, I might have them come to me and they'd say, Dad, I love you. Can I have an ice cream cone? And as I look at that little child, 
John, that doesn't bother me. They are a child and they don't understand all of life and all of that kind of thing. And I'm going to give them the ice cream cone. In fact, I'll probably give them two scoops, three scoops, just because I want to be that kind of much more dad, just like our God is a much more God. But if my children who are now in their 30s came to me today and said, hey, dad, I love you. Can I have a few hundred? That's going to bother me. (laughs) Not because of the few hundred. In fact, John, like you, I'd probably give them five or six hundred if I have it. The issue that I have a struggle with is they're coming to me for what I can give them instead of coming to me for me. And the point I would make is this, John, I want to be a lot more to them than just a wallet. I have so much more I want to give them. I've learned so much in life. I've learned a lot the hard way. I want to spare them from those hard ways that I had to go through. I want to be more to them than they're willing for me to be because they're enamored with what I give them or can give them instead of being enamored with who I am. Uh, Does that make sense? And does that click? (laughs) It certainly does, my friend, because there's a, there's a process by which father matures us and makes us more like the image of his son. Now you mentioned a few definitions for grace earlier that came out on one end of the bell curve. You said, well, people said it's, uh, God's unmerited favor, his mercy, uh, uh, and even God's riches at Christ's expense, that wonderful acronym that we all learned very early in our walk with the Savior. And there's nothing wrong with those. They're right, but it's deeper and richer. And if we focus only on those very elementary definitions we're not going to dive into the deep end of the pool and begin to swim around with just how massively deep and rich grace can truly be. So we're settling for so much less than what our Father, our Savior, wants to give us. And basically, that's, that's tragic mm-hmm. because swimming in the deep end of the pool, yes, yeah, sometimes it's going to be scary because we don't understand everything, but we miss the joy of knowing that our father is just going to be overwhelmingly for us in every possible circumstance. And if grace is Jesus and grace lives in us through the person of Jesus, then we have super abundant grace with us every moment of every single day. And that changes everything. We don't have to ask for what we already have, do we? Yeah. Yeah. And John, you know, it's, it's, I think it's really important because when we expose those really what are overly simplistic definitions, you know, God's riches at Christ's expense, uh, the unconditional favor of God, they're, they're good, they're correct, but they're not full. So when we expose those, very often people will come to me and they'll say, well, what's your definition of grace? And I try to warn them. I said, well, you know what? I can't give a simple definition like that because it's too big. But this is what I tend to tell people. Grace is being delivered from the economy of Adam. 
uh, economy, way of doing business with God, a way of life, being delivered from the economy of Adam, an economy of performing and achieving merit or acceptance with God and gaining life uh, apart from God. And then it's being placed instead into an economy of receiving from God all that he is, that all that he longs to be to me in the person of Christ by faith. So in a very real way, John, grace is being delivered from a focus on me and instead becoming completely absorbed and consumed with the person of Christ who longs to be my everything. That would be my simplest definition I could come up with that would attempt to communicate, you know, all that grace is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. You know, one last thought from me, and then I'll turn it over to you to finish. When I think of the grace of God, Jesus Christ living inside me, and when I focus on every single aspect that you just described, or that those responders to your survey described, about who he is and what he's done and what he's doing for us. I sit here and think, my goodness, all of that is inside of me available. All I have to do is ask for it. Yeah. You know, all I have to do is say, Father, I need wisdom. Pow! He promises to be that. And that's just one little example of all the resources of the creator of the universe that are ours just because the grace of God lives in us. Okay, my friend, wrap us up. Well, John, we've used this illustration before. It's popped in my brain as I'm listening to you. We used it in terms of God's love, but I think we could use it in terms of God's peace, God's strength, and we could certainly use it here in discussion of God's grace. It's us, our little cup, our earthen vessel, put under the raging torrent of Niagara Falls. It fills us completely full to overflowing. It's turbulent. It's overwhelming. It's awe-inspiring. And you know what? There's no way that we can capture all of that flow in a little cup. That, to me, is our entering into the grace of God. It should be something, someone, that leaves us provided for, sustained, and stunned for who he is for the rest of our lives. Wow. My That's goodness. grace. It certainly <laughs> is. And listeners, Frank has used this analogy of a cup, an overflowing cup. It comes from one of our children's books. I was wrong, but God made me right. You can find that on our website, ourresolutehope.com. And while you're there, we'd love to hear from you especially if Father has ministered to you today in any way. On that website, you'll find all kinds of articles, devotions, eBooks. Uh, sign up for our newsletter. We've got books available for sale. Of course, all centered on the incredible truth of Jesus Christ, the grace of God as our life. Don't forget to follow us on our social media platforms. You'll find us on Facebook, Instagram, on YouTube, uh, and we're getting better as the weeks go by. <laughs> uh, at least we hope to. <laughs> and we ask humbly that you continue to pray for us.
and support us financially if Father lays that on your heart. And as always, we close with the same reminder. You know, Frank, we say it week in and week out, but it never gets old. It's from Hebrews 6 that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Peter called it a living hope. Yours and my word for it is a resolute hope, steadfast, immovable. And that hope is the grace of God himself, Jesus Christ. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.